You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hey, we are live, pal. And this is Jose Youngs, of course, at MMAfighting.com, here for another Wednesday edition of the A-Side. Now, I know a lot of you have been asking when we're going to have another professional wrestling personality on. We've had Sean Ross Sapp on recently. We've had Big E, and of course, Brody Lee was on many a long time ago. And you guys have been wondering and asking when another person from that world is going to join us. And I am very excited personally to have this man join us because he is not only a fight fan and a professional wrestling fan, he is one of the original celebrity comic book fans. And you all know my affinity. Uh, for comic books. Andre Feely, I'm sure, of course, is tuning in to watch this, too. But this man needs no introduction. But for those of you who don't know, this is Hurricane Shane Helms, longtime professional wrestling, longtime fight fan, longtime comic book fan. Mr. Helms, how are you? And thank you for joining us this week. I'm doing great, man. I'm glad you guys scraped the bottom of the barrel before you got to me. You know, and I got to say that about Sean Ross Sapp just because he's in my fantasy football league and I destroy him every year. So, uh Shots fired. Well, we did not. Oh, right off the bat. We did not scrape the bottle of the barrel for you, sir. I'm always looking out for people <laughs> that uh, maybe, maybe they're part of one world, and then we like to bring them in and maybe give them a break from talking about wrestling or 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 anything else, and they just want to talk about fight fighting. And I saw you tweeting about the fights last week, and specifically the Dan Hooker and Dustin Poirier war, which I'm sure we're going to get into. Uh, so I said... Maybe he wants to talk fights for all of our fight fans. I tweeted out, and my God, people were excited for this one. I haven't had much of a we've, – we've had a lot of great guests on, but people were very, very excited for this one. But before we get into the questions, I have to ask Casey, who's, of course, on the ones and twos in the back, how are you doing up in Englewood? Uh, just up to good. That's all. <laughs> up, to, up, to, up to lots of good in Englewood. But, of course, on the A side, this is not our podcast. This is the fans' podcast. You can ask any question you want to us. We've gotten a few uh, already about fighting, about wrestling, about comic books, about anything you want. Uh, So without further ado, I know I've I've seen a lot of them already. (laughs) Case, what do our fans want to know? All right. Uh, Here we go. First question. First question. This one's a big... uh, Everything... Yeah, here we go. This one's an important one. (laughs) This is what I expected. So, <laughs> not a fight question, but everyone asked this question. So we're gonna get out of the way, uh, Shane. Uh, this is gonna be a. I don't. I guarantee you've never been asked this question before. <laughs> I'm trying to think about how to word this. In a world where we're trying to solve world hunger, uh, you have someone has a, attached a Mega Man type hand cannon to your arm. Okay. Uh, and it can only shoot one flavor of ice cream. What flavor do you pick to save world hunger? And keep in mind, in this scenario, it is not a constant stream like soft serve ice cream. It is one like, dunk, 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 like one one scoop at a time. So to save world hunger, what flavor do you go with? Uh, I guess I'm gonna go with strawberry. Strawberry. Is there a wrong answer? I don't know. I'm well, the only wrong answer would be vanilla, in my opinion. I oh. personally. I, you got to go with a flavor that's chunky because that takes less to fill people up. Uh, and in this world, there are no lactose intolerant people in this hypothetical world. So they can all eat that flavor. I assume. Casey, what are your thoughts on strawberry? Are there like, are there like, stra- is it artificially flavored? Are we going like high end strawberry? Like there's like good chunks of it in there? <laughs> yeah, you got to have chunks. Okay. You got to have big chunks of strawberries in there. So right. correct answer the only wrong answer is vanilla because that's boring but anyway thank you so i knew that question was coming as soon as i announced shane hell is gonna be out of the show i knew we were gonna get that question but thank you so much for I had, to, I had to get it out of the way yeah all right 
Next question. Here we go. Ooh, a little cut off for me. He's Casey, there. can you make the question a little? Oh, you can't. Oh. Is it? You can't read it. Half of it's cut off. Let me see if I can fix that. Oh, I got it. Here we go. When Eddie Alvarez beat Justin Gaethje, it was for the title of most violent man in the UFC, which Eddie Alvarez won. Dustin Poirier has stopped both of them and just beat Den Hooker in a fight of the year candidate. Does Dustin Poirier deserve the title with the most entertaining 155er given his resume? Now, we answered this on uh, Between the Links. Uh, so this is, of course, from our friend Average Joe Art on Twitter. Uh, Shane, I don't know if you know this man's work, but he is one of the best, uh, I say, fan art artists out there in terms of like comic books and MMA and stuff. So I'll give him a quick shout out. He's a longtime uh, listener. So Shane, I'll start with you. Is Dustin Poirier, does he deserve the title of most entertaining lightweight given his past resume? Uh, he's definitely in the conversation. I mean, as far as entertaining and just, I mean, that has to include the microphone as well, not just in the cage. So you know who the best promo guy is. He's in that division. He's the best promo guy in the game. And that goes to Connor. In terms of his actual resume on paper, he's beaten uh, Anthony Pettis. Uh, he's beaten Justin Gaethje. He's beaten Eddie Alvarez. He's beaten Jim Miller. Now he's beaten Dan Hooker. Pretty much the only one he's lost to is Habib. And, of course, he's lost to Conor McGregor. Yeah. So if we're talking violence, is he the most violent 155er in the game? Yeah, I'll give him that. He did him and him and Gaethje, you know, the Gaethje's a highlight reel, especially in the uh, smaller promotions. Mm -hmm. Like what what he's done in UFC, no doubt is 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 impressive. But like his earlier his early career is just, I mean, it's a complete highlight reel of him just yanking guys, snatching them down. You know, he's had some really nasty knockouts. So uh, they're both in the conversation. I mean, I guess you got to give Dustin the nod since he had the win. So uh, I, I wouldn't argue that. And you touched upon it right at the beginning. You need the microphone. Is that what is lacking in mixed martial arts right now? Not enough, quote-unquote, characters. I know we saw them a lot in the early 2000s where we had Rampage. We had Tito Ortiz, Huntington Beach, Bad Boy. We've had, uh, we've had Brock Lesnar, who, of course, made the jump from your world into ours. We had these characters that people could gravitate towards, and they were must-listen and must-watch. In this climate of MMA, is that missing outside of Conor McGregor? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a big miss. You know, the infancy of, of what became pro wrestling is very similar to what MMA is. You know, it started in the uh, carnivals and, you know, basically a tough man contest. Like, let's see who's the toughest guy in this town is. Well, then what happened, you know, is that guys, some of the toughest guys just couldn't talk. They couldn't get on the radio and sell tickets. Now, keep in mind, this is radio days. They couldn't get on that radio and sell tickets to the next event. So promoters, they wanted, you know, they wanted the guy that could talk and bring, bring asses to the seats. And they don't want that guy to lose. That's one of the main reasons that pro wrestling even came into existence. You know, it's, where, it's why a guy like Gorgeous George back in the day became so immensely popular. Muhammad Ali is on record as crediting. He got his whole stick from Gorgeous George, a pro wrestler. He knew it back then. So, and I think too, when you talk about guys like Liddell and, and those guys, whenever they talked, it did it seemed natural. It mm -hmm. wasn't forced. Nowadays, you can, if, if the promo isn't believable, I think the fans, they can tell. They can tell, like, does this guy really believe what he's saying or is he just saying shit to make noise? Like when Connor said it, you believed that he believed it. It didn't matter if... You know, if he said he was the greatest in the world, that didn't matter. What matters is, does he believe it? He really believes that shit. And then he goes out and, you know, gets, you know, 
becomes champ champ and now he gets all of that behind him it makes it even more credible but yeah pro, uh mma is definitely missing out on those personalities and just a guy with a hook a hook to his name if you look at i mean look at basketball who's the most famous basketball players it's michael air jordan it's lebron mm-hmm. king james it's the mamba kobe bryant it's shaq diesel you know if your name is bob smith no no offense to any Bob Smiths who may or may not be listening. You don't have a hook, and you need – and that's that's a part of, two of the UFC's problem. They're the promotion. They're the ones in charge of promoting and marketing. They should be working with these guys. You know, when I came to WWE, uh, it was F at the time, they wanted me to be Gregory Helms, just Gregory Helms. And I was like, that shit ain't going to work. You know, so I worked with them. I became Hurricane Helms and then later the Hurricane that's when the hook came in. That's when I start selling merch. That's when I start selling T-shirts and action figures. And that's when the fans really just got interested in me. Was I that much more of a different wrestler than I was as Gregory Helms? No. I was just an entertainer with a hook then. So I'll ask you this: We the the two what what you what you brought up uh, when when fans can tell it's not real. Uh, I think two of the more uh, outspoken personalities in terms of people talking about their personalities lately have been Triple C, Henry Cejudo, and then, of course, Colby Covington. They later went on record saying, like, this isn't really me, guys. This is just Mm -hmm. a character. Like, they're, quote-unquote, breaking kayfabe in interviews. So when you hear that as a wrestler, are you just pulling your hair (laughs) out, saying, like, what are you doing, man? Like, people are tuning in to watch you for a reason, and now you're saying this isn't you? Well, I think the reason Kobe did it was because of the heat he was getting. Sure. There's no reason to do that. Like, Cejudo, I never believed it anyway. I never believed any of that shit he was saying. He just didn't have the good delivery. You know, pro- promo, you have to be a good actor. Like, Kobe, if he's faking it, he's an excellent actor, and he needs to go into acting after this because he's really great in making people believe that. You know, when you listen to Masvidal cut a promo, mm-hmm. you believe what he's saying. There's no doubt. So who I didn't really believe it that much. So, uh, so I don't know. But yeah, I definitely understand when guys. I hate that too. After fights, you know, when the guys say, "Oh man, I was just saying all that mess to hype the fight." Like I don't see no purpose in that. So you, you know, I think would you, it was very underrated as a promo um, in in UFC. It was Ronda. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. She stuck with it. She didn't care if you if you thought she was being bitchy, she was fine with it. You know, there's been several examples. I'll even go back to when Tim Sylvia was the heavyweight champion. Wow. They were booing him. You know, he didn't really have a flashy style, okay? Not everybody does. That That's the name of the game. But, like, if when they were booing him after one of his wins, if he would have just got on the microphone and just told – instead of trying to get him to like him, he was just, like, hungry for their, for their love and their respect or whatever. That'll come. That'll come later. Don't worry about that now. If he would have just got on that microphone and said, I'm the heavyweight champion of the world. None of y'all can do anything about it. Y'all can't stop me. You want you don't you want to stop me? Then come stop me. If he would have did anything like that, his next fight ticket sales would have been through the roof because he would have took the Mayweather approach. People would have paid to see him lose. And Curtis Blades kind of did that a couple weeks ago. Yeah. He said he, going. Trying. He said going into the fight, he goes, if you like exciting fights, don't watch this fight. That's exactly <laughs> what he did. And he's like. 
I'm not like I told you what was coming, and you're still mad at me. So Curtis Blades. I don't know if I would say that before a fight, though. I don't know if to hype up a fight is, hey, I'm gonna bore your ass to death. I don't know if you say that before the fight. He, he didn't say bore. He said, I'm, I'm just gonna rag. Then he, he yeah. said, I'm, I'm just gonna so throw like, him around and. Those guys. I'm yeah, not, it's like, not gonna be like, a slugfest. I'm gonna take this guy down. I'm gonna break him. But don't, but that don't, ain't yeah. even a ragdoll. He didn't even ragdoll him. Ragdoll, when I think ragdoll, I think what uh, Roy McDonald did to Nate Diaz. That was a ragdoll. <laughs> this he just kind of wrestled him, you know, and uh, he out he did out wrestle him and he won, you know. So you can't fault him on that. But he too should have got up, you know. It's like uh, he's on a path to the championship. That's what he wants to do. He's going to win by any means necessary, you know. Something more along those lines. Do you group fighters like the Diaz brothers and Jorge Masvidal in a category of their own where they're not they're not preparing anything? That's just who they are. Like what they say is on yeah. camera is exactly what they're going to say off camera. And that's why it's so believable. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't really like this guy isn't reaching anything. You know, it's like, you know, if you look in movies like Christopher Walken, don't even act anymore. He's just who he, he's just who he is. Like if you put him in a movie, that's who you're gonna get. There's no gonna be no more range. Like mm-hmm. uh, you know, you know what you get with the Diaz brothers and Masvidal too. Like I believe everything he says, and I believe that he believes it, and that's more important. Best promo you've heard in MMA? Uh, I mean, McGregor that whole uh, when after he won that second belt, mm-hmm. you know, when he was acting like he was going to apologize, <laughs> and then he said to absolutely nobody. That whole shit was great. The whole. Uh, who the who the fuck is that guy? I mean, yeah, yeah. He, he turned Jeremy into a meme, and Jeremy is a great fighter, you know, and I really like him. But now, when you think of Jeremy Stevens, that's all you think of. It's such a it's such a shame on his part. But um, uh, I like those Rampage. Rampage was pretty decent. Tito was probably the first guy that got really good at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not anymore. He has really <laughs> fell off on his promo skills. Unfortunately, they actually went from great to absolutely rotten. Uh, but if you're talking about right now, guys that are uh, Masvidal is the best going right now, you know, just because he can back it up too. as much as I like Nate, other than a Connor win, Nate hasn't done a lot significantly in the cage. And I know that one was a big one, uh, the Connor one. But other than that, not a lot, you know, so Masvidal, he's been on a tear. So when you can talk that talk and then you can walk that walk. Man, that's when you can get the hype train behind you. Yeah, I mean that's exactly what Connor did. Casey, what's been the best promo you've heard? You've been covering the sport for about fifteen years. You know, I I like the under the radar ones. I'm when Henry Corrales knocked out um, oh, was it Aaron Pico. Pico. He's oh, I'm gonna say it wrong, but basically the interviewer was in the cage. He said something like, "I lived in a mediocre life. I was ready to die in this motherfucker." I was yeah. just, it, it just and it just came out so just deadpan it was just like he was just like yeah you know it was uh, like and, was, and speaking of too when nate beat connor when he goes i ain't surprised motherfucker yeah that too just that's got to be up there uh that's the that promo that uh corrals because when he goes i went from because he was talking about his like past like life of crime and all that stuff he goes i went from the dark arts to the martial yeah. arts <laughs> That that was where that came from. Uh, I'm a bi- I was a big fan of uh, Nate Diaz calling out Masvidal after he beat Pettis, when he called when he said uh, Masvidal ain't no West Coast gangster. I thought that yeah. and Masvidal was sitting about five feet away from him, used yeah. his platform right, and then he fought at Madison Square Garden like two months later. Why she they, and they made up they made up a championship. They have my <laughs> really man. They have my man to rock there. So. Well, to me, the, the yeah. promo that kind of almost changed the game was actually Nate Diaz when he beat, I think, Michael Johnson. Yeah, and then he, he said, you're he, taking everything he, I work for. You're taking for. everything I work for, one. And, like, it was just, 
and and that created the whole. And then once RDA fell out, then that created um, the RDA Connor fight. Then then the then the, the mixed martial arts world changed. Um, you know, um, but the original question is about the most entertaining fighter. And talking about promos and things like that. I think people are like Mike Perry. You know, in the sense that he doesn't win all his fights. You know, he probably wins like half his fights. But he just comes out so, to me, honest in his promos, just what he says, that you don't care if he win or loses. You just want to see him fight, and you want to see what he says, win or lose. So I think, I think Mike, Mike Perry is very um, underrated. I'm always interested, too, in Diego Sanchez. Uh, I never understand what he's saying most of the time. <laughs> Like, I don't know what the, what the fuck he's actually talking about, but I know it's going to be unique. He is a, so there's something to be said for uniqueness as well. And what are you, not really a promo guy, but a fighter like Sugar Sean, who is one of the, oh, wow, yeah. he's, yeah, he's going to be a big deal for a long time. But when he gets on the mic, he doesn't really cut promos, but I kind of like his very nonchalant, like just another day in the office type attitude. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a good character. I mean, that's a, not everybody has to be Brock Lesnar out there screaming mm-hmm. and ranting and raving. You need different ones that complement each other. So, you know, he has a swagger to him that, that's pretty cool, and that, that plays into it well. You know, I mean, he's supposed to, Sugar, I mean, your name is Sugar Sean. You know, you got to be sweet. You got to be mm-hmm. smooth. You know, he's, he, he's not the animal, Sean, you know, so. Yeah, there's not enough fighters anymore that you can go by just their nickname anymore, like Rampage or the Iceman or so on and so forth. Sugar Sean's way up there. Stylebender's also just himself all of the mm-hmm. time. And I think he has one of the best characters going right now. Yeah, for sure. What do you, uh, Shane, what do you think about someone like Fedor, who's almost anti-promo in a sense? Or, I mean, his well, anti-promo became, was the promo, yeah. Yeah, that became yeah. the gimmick. Like, mm-hmm. I wanted him to just say, because I saw something with somebody, it was a picture that somebody made and it said, I am Fedor. I wanted him, and I tried to get a, we had a Russian guy in WWE uh, for a while, and I can't even remember his name, but I wanted to just totally jack the Fedor gimmick with him. You know, because I wanted Fedor to be the answer to every question, just be, I am Fedor. Like, no matter <laughs> what the fuck they asked him, I wanted him to just go, I am Fedor. And so I wanted to do that. Kozlov, Vladimir Kozlov yeah. was the guy in WWE. I wanted him to go, I am Kozlov. And I just want that to be the answer. And uh, uh, they didn't do it, of course. But yeah, Fedor's lack of talking just became. I was there when he beat um, Andre Arlovsky, me and Undertaker at front row. Oh, at um, the Honda Center in, in Anaheim. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, before, uh, during, earlier in the night, they showed the, you know, on the big screen, they show, and you see, um, no, 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 not Arlovsky. I was there for the Sylvia fight. That Sylvia was fight, Tim yeah. Sylvia. Affliction one. And yeah. so, um, you look back there, and Tim Sylvia's back there, and he's, you know, man, he's training and all that kind of shit, warming up. And uh, Fedor was playing cards. <laughs> and I was like, this dude, that's as chill as chill can be. You know, so, yeah, that kind of became his gimmick. I'd be very disappointed if uh, I met him in real life and he's all hyper like I am. I'd be like, oh, man. it was. A, <laughs> I would either be disappointed or incredibly impressed. <laughs> that's I've met Fedor a few times, and that's what you see on camera is exactly yeah. what you're going to get. Yeah. Like. I think he's one of those fighters that knows a lot more English than he lets on. Uh, he just has his translator there because that's part of his aura. And uh, Kurt Angle played a Fedor-esque uh, fighter in Warrior. Remember that movie? I don't the, think I saw that. The, the, the MMA movie with Tom Hardy where it was like... Uh, I forgot Kurt Angle was uh, in it. I, I, yeah, Kurt Angle, so the the premise is like there's this big million-dollar prize, and it was like the tap-out crew, like Mask and everyone were the ones running it. And they needed a Russian character, and Kurt Angle play, basically... they. Kurt Angle basically played Fedor. 
and then the like the 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 main character like tapped him out or something to fight Tom Hardy at the end. But uh, yeah, uh, everyone needs a cri- uh, silent Russian killer in their movie. Yeah, right. I remember too in in WWE. Uh, uh, I was having to do something with Kozlov and we weren't getting quite the reactions that, that, that I wanted. And I was trying to talk to the agent of the match and he was an old school guy. And he was just like, you know, I mean, the fans, they're going to hate him. You know, he's Russian. And I'm like, do you watch MMA? I said the most popular fighter in the, one of the most popular fighters in the world right now is this Russian. Like nobody really cares anymore. This ain't the cold war. <laughs> I to, you know, uh, this ain't Nikita Kolov. If, if this was Nikita, I would understand, but this is a, this is Kozlov, you know, but yeah. Fedor came up quite a bit now that I think about it. Well, his the anniversary of Verdum tapping him out, his 10-year anniversary was, I think, oh. this week. So yeah. it's been 10 oh. years since Verdum tapped him out. That shit broke my heart. I was you 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 were there, right, Casey? I was there. Um, I was actually I was I was um, Esther, um, my wife's a photographer, Shane, and she was shooting cage side. So a lot of the photos you probably seen were taken by her. But I was in the crowd because I figured at the t- I mean at the time it was it was it wasn't even good. People thought like it, it, this is going to be a sure win for Fedor, and mm-hmm. then so I'm shooting in the crowd, so I, I wanted to watch off all the fans cheering, and when Fedor lost like in under a minute, I've never heard there, there were at least fifteen thousand people there. I've never heard just it was just the weirdest sound. It was just like just, yeah, was, yeah, what, yeah. What what is the absence of sound? Yeah, yeah. It was just like this. Like like we just everyone's just like we just paid two hundred dollars for these seats and like it was just. What happened? It was also a, it, it's all, it was, also wasn't a knockout. Like if it was a flash knockout, it probably would have been insane. But yeah. Fedor tapping just, is yeah. the last thing anyone expected. Yeah, you just, yeah, uh, it was. Just, and I, re- I remember I was uh, watching that. Uh, I was at the uh, Undertaker's house. We were watching. Undertaker's a big MMA mm-hmm. fan too, by the way. We became friends because of boxing, because uh, not because of wrestling, because everybody talks wrestling backstage. But um. And I was there, and I remember, like, we were talking about it, and uh, I was one of the guys I would bet on a lot of fights, and I would I would take a lot of money from a lot of guys. And so, but, you know, kind of dissecting that fight, I was like, you know, I mean, uh, Verdum's got good jujitsu, but literally I said it in passing, didn't mm-hmm. really say, but I had, there was no doubt in my mind that Fedor was going to knock him out. You know, because keep in mind, too, uh, that was after Dos, um, Dos Santos knocked Dos Santos out. Dos Santos uppercutted him to <laughs> damn death. Yeah. And uh, one of the best uppercuts, I think, in MMA history. Mm-hmm. And um, and I just, yeah, I just knew 100% that Fedor was going to win that fight. And and I'd be talking shit, too. Cause we, <laughs> you know, we had a couple of them. We saw drinking as a house full of people and people. And some of them didn't watch MMA. So they're just listening to me, thinking <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. And, uh, that was the Grand Prix, right, Casey? Uh, no. No, that was just a fight. Yeah. Was it really? No. I thought that was because the, they wanted No, no, no. Um, I, he, he lost... Fedor lost in the Grand oh, Prix to Bigfoot. That was part of the Grand Prix, right. yeah. That, that right. was his follow-up right. fight, yeah. Because I think if Fedor had beaten Verdun, they probably would have had Overeem Fedor finally. Probably, yeah. yeah. Or Fedor Overeem, and then after Fedor lost, Overeem kind of popped over to the UFC immediately after because that fight was no more. But anyway, we've had one question we talked <laughs> a lot about. <laughs> Thank you for the question, Jay Romero. Always happy to see him on. From Joey Jiu-Jitsu, MMA Triple J. Where does Poirier and Hooker go from here? So matchmaking time. Uh, Shane, if you're booking their next fights, who would you like to see Dustin Poirier and who would you like to see Dan Hooker fight next? Oh, man. Poirier, you got to think. I mean, it depends on if 
if Habib is he done with his uh, religious uh, the holiday yeah, thing? Yeah, so that's now in the. I think that that's gone past. I think okay. right now he's dealing with uh, his father. His father out of a coma. Yeah. yeah. So okay. uh, so the UFC is targeting Gaethje Habib for September in Abu Dhabi. Okay, so I mean, if I was Poirier, I would sit on the back burner right now, not commit to anything, because if Habib uh, Gaethje falls through, you got to. I would I would push for that Gaethje fight. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I mean, unless Connor decides to pop back in, and who knows what he's going to do. Um, but Connor and Gaethje is also, you know, I mean that that there's a good story there. Gaethje's two losses are to guys that Connor knocked out. Mm-hmm. You know, but Gaethje's on a tear right now. So I mean, you got a good little story there as well. Uh, Hooker, you know, I mean, Hooker's got a good. He's coming off a loss, so he's going to have to figure out how to fight for himself. But um, Hooker and Gaethje also, if if for whatever reason something falls through, that's also another good fight. But I think Poirier, I think he waits to see if uh, Habib's going to come through with that fight or not. I think a lot of fans want to see either one of these men fight Tony Ferguson next. Uh, Tony Ferguson, I think, is seen one or two. Uh, if Poirier wants to stay active, I'm never going to say no to Poirier Ferguson, but I also think Ferguson should probably not fight the rest of 2020. After yeah, he did not look good. He did not look good in that last one. Uh, someone in the comments says Hooker versus Charles Oliveira. Charles Charles Oliveira, uh, I think, is on a six, seven fight win streak. Most submissions mm-hmm. in UFC history. Super young, uh, one of the youngest fighters uh, in the UFC. So I, I like that fight. It just depends on if you want to put on Hooker, who's coming off a loss off someone on a long win streak. Someone says Poirier should get Tony or title shot. Dan maybe should get a rematch with Paul Felder. Well, that depends on if Paul Felder wants to come out of the <laughs> yeah. I like all these fights though. Yeah, that's a stacked division right there. Maybe, maybe the most stacked. I think it's lightweight is the most stacked division in the history of the UFC. Like just going back to the BJ Penn era, like I think, like to this day, the most title defense in a row is three. It's and that's that's I think BJ Penn is still the record holder for that. Like since we've had Frankie Edgar, Benson Henderson, Connor, Anthony Pettis, RDA, like all these guys can't string together three title defenses because of how competitive that division is. Yeah, and um. And BJ's only a couple bar fights away from coming back. So you don't know where he's at. He's got, well, you have to win the bar fights, but yeah, <laughs> so we gotta, we gotta get that streak back yeah. up. I mean, that's but, a, but, I mean, it's like that in a heavyweight though. For a heavyweight, nobody had defended the title. Yeah, like for a long time, uh, nobody like oh had nobody had, had like two defenses or something like that. I think like Steve one has defense. the record with I think three. Yeah, because he, right? he defended it against Overeem, JDS, and Ngannou. And then lost this uh, DC. So Stipe is the record holder with three title defenses. Just three, yeah. That, that's and that's why I always thought Fedor's run in Pride was so amazing, because because he and he, what, he didn't fight in a conservative style. I mean, he was throwing haze, you know. So like he's a lot of those times he's fighting like almost 50-50 fights when you when you fight like that. And the fact that he was always coming out on top and for so long was incredible, you know. Basically a light heavyweight. And, yeah, and a light heavyweight, yeah. It's like 230 pounds, like not chiseled. Like he, there's no, he. Yeah, and there definitely needs to be a cruiserweight division. I uh, wish, I wish in, there was. In MMA, yeah. That 60-pound differential between light heavy and heavy is just absurd. I think uh, a lot of fighters want to see a 195 too because 185 to 205 is kind of a big jump. It is, but. I mean, if I was going to put one of those first, I would go with the cruiserweight division first. I, you know, or one sixty-five, which everyone wants, between one fifty-five and one seventy. Yeah, I think first, like the first one you need is the sixty-pound <laughs> difference. That's the one you sure. need to just cut in half. You know, I mean, uh, two thirty, two thirty-five. I mean, Fatal at two thirty, two thirty-five is going to it would be great. 
I mean, that fight with Bigfoot was literally, he just couldn't get Bigfoot's big ass off of him. (laughs) I mean, he shouldn't have been in there with him. It looked like, it looked like uh, one of my kids hiding underneath the bed. You know, all I saw was damn uh, Fedor's feet sticking out half the time. It's like. I think they add cruiserweight. I think that's another belt for John Jones, personally. Yes, yes. John, yeah, because John's, man, he's, well, he's packed on. If you look at his body from his first fight in UFC to now, man, he's, you know, he's really worked hard in strength and conditioning. And, you know, I mean, um. I know there's people lining up to say something about the weight mm-hmm. game, but it doesn't come without immense hard work and all that type of shit. You know, you don't look like that uh, just off of anything. Comes in at 204 a lot, too, so it's not like he's struggling to make 205. But if they had Cruiserweight, I think that's another belt. Uh, yeah, and that Cormier. Cormier could easily mm-hmm. uh, make that, you know. So, sure. um, yeah. But when you got a guy like Brock Lesnar that has to lose weight to make heavyweight, mm-hmm. You know, and he's in there with uh, God. I mean, when he beat Randy Couture, Randy Couture looked tiny. And that was Randy kind of bulked up a little bit. Mm -hmm. He looked so tiny in there compared to Brock. And then you got I'll tell you a Brock story real quick. I had an amateur (laughs) background. I was about seven, uh, I I was an amateur for about seven years. So I had a little bit of a background. Um, And so I was in the ring playing with Brock one day and I was like, I could get away from him. You know, I'd get away from him for a little bit. I had no illusions about what was going to happen once he grabbed me, you know, none whatsoever. But I was like, I could get away from him. His big ass shot in on me as fast as anybody ever had. He shot in on me, scooped me up. I was on his shoulder, and I just kind of patted him on the back and said, okay, we're good. (laughs) (laughs) The shit don't need to go no further. (laughs) So when he made the jump over to the UFC, were you under the the impression that, like, it's only a matter of time before this man gets that gold belt? Yeah, I was. I, I, only thing I didn't know about is just, is his chin, because you don't know that. You don't know anybody's chin until they get hit. I've seen big guys. You know, I kind of. I was a bit of a street fighter, bar fighter myself. So I've seen big guys get knocked the fuck out, and all those muscles don't really do a lot. Um, and those are gone. So that was the only question. I knew his athleticism. I knew people. People were concerned about his cardio. I'm like, you guys don't understand. He'll go out there 45 minutes a night in pro wrestling. And he's bumping, bumping, bumping. And having your win get knocked out of you is so much different than on a treadmill. So that's why that pro wrestling cardio is way more impressive and intense than than people really realize. Uh, So I wasn't concerned about that. I wasn't concerned about his athleticism. Damn sure wasn't concerned about his strength. I was just worried could he take a punch, you know. So um, I wasn't surprised at his success at all. How do you think Kurt could have done in the UFC? That seems to be a lot of a big what if between wrestling and MMA. Uh, I think he would have. I think he would have done good. You know, he does got that thick neck that looks like it's just ripe to be choked. Though, got to mm-hmm. be honest with you. You know, uh, he's shorter, so he probably would have been. Um, he might have been a middleweight or two hundred five. You know, so um, I think Kurt would have done good. You know, he would have been successful. And there's always that sto- that story tells of how he wanted to be on the Ultimate Fighter with Kimbo. That would have destroyed ratings, but didn't pass the medical apparently. Yeah, yeah, he had a, his neck and shit's been shot for years. It's amazing that he was able to extend his career as long as he did. Well, thank you for the question, Joey Jiu-Jitsu. I hope we answered it. <laughs> <laughs> I will go off on a tangent. <laughs> it, it, it wouldn't be the A-side if we didn't have a tangent. We had I Michael Chiesa on here once, and we went on a 45-minute tangent on hunting Bigfoot after one question about fighting, so... Uh, you're right on brand. Bigfoot uh, Silva or actually Bigfoot? Actual Bigfoot, because he lives <laughs> up in the Pacific Northwest. From Mark Montonia, I, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Last weekend's card was the first one without Dana White press conference since the pandemic show's begun. 
at the interviews he did promoting the fights in May and June, and you have a lot of airtime. Do you think this has been good or bad for him? So, Shane, a lot of microphone time for Dana White lately. Uh, his pre-fight scrums uh, at the Apex and post-fight press conferences uh, in our site dwarf any other fighters' interviews. It's just the, pretty much the Dana White show week to week. But you get you get some fighters like Sugar Sean and Mike Perry and those pushing in, but Dana White continually dominates our numbers. So has it been good or bad for all of the mic time we've had with Dana White? Uh, it's both, you know, you got to keep in mind. I mean, everybody knows he's the boss, mm-hmm. you know, they know that the UFC is a company. It's a little bit different than how boxing is viewed where you got a lot of the fighters that seem to be calling the shots. Nobody calls the shots in UFC, but Dana, you know, um, the only guy that even comes close is Connor that can kind of do what he wants, you know, but that kind of happened because Connor went outside of the UFC with the whole, uh, Floyd Mayweather thing uh, but it's so it's good and bad every word he says every sentence he says is going to be dissected and you know it's going to be 50-50 people either nobody's going to universally like it, anything he says much less everything every sentence he says is going to half the people are going to hate it and half the people are going to like it so he's in a really tough position I think he navigates it generally okay you know of course there's going to be some things that, that I disagree with and I, probably you guys as well but mm-hmm. I think he navigates them as, as well as anybody can and it doesn't hurt that there's been a lot of questions specifically for Dana White lately in terms of fighter mm-hmm. pay, uh, COVID testing, Fight Island. So it's not like Dana White doesn't have anything to talk about. But, Casey, uh, are you over all Dana White videos? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been over it for a little bit. But, hey, man, um, like, I, I, like I always said, if you had like a fan expo and you had all the UFC fighters lined up, and a fan can line up to get one autograph or one photo with any of the fighters. But then you had Dana White. I still feel like the Dana White line would be the longest. And it, it would. And that, that's, that's just, it's weird, but that's the reality. I mean, it's just, I mean, we look at our numbers, we look at our traffic, our interest, comments, and the the Dana Dana stuff um, kind of rules all. And then, you know, Connor is always kind of right there too. But, um, but keep in mind how long Dana White's name has been yeah. out there. Like, if you put up Phil Jackson with the Bulls that he won with, all right, there's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, there's going to be people in everybody's line. If you put him up with the Bulls right now, ain't nobody going to be caring about those guys. They're going to all go to Phil. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So and that's uh, been, Dana and that, White's just a name that's been around people. He, you just recognize that name. If you pay attention to MMA at, at all, you know who Dana White is. Most of it, there's a big chunk of the UFC roster when you would go, even us, like sometimes I'll, I'll hear a name and I'm going, who? Now, who is that? I have to be reminded of who it is. You don't got to be reminded who Dana White is. And, that, and that's by design, too. That is by design. With, 100%. Yep. Yeah, well, he's a promoter. You know, you do have to – if he's a better marketing piece, if he's a better mouthpiece than his fighters, he's really just filling up a gap. I mean, like we, we talked about here, some of these guys can't talk. And when they say some shit, it's boring or it don't make sense, and they're not really marketing themselves. So he kind of has to step in. He has to be the flavor flavor of the uh, <laughs> UFC because nobody else is really doing it. Yeah, we've had a lot of people ask who you think the face of the UFC is, and I've and – it's Dana White. Dana yeah. White is the face. It's he's bad. Like Connor's there. I think a lot of people people always bring up Joe Rogan, but I think a lot more people know Rogan from outside of MMA than being tied to the UFC. But it's a hundred percent Dana White. Yeah, yeah. And two, that's that's where the UFC needs to look at himself. They need to look within themselves at their marketing. 
strategies and they're promoting and, and how they can define these fighters. Because, I mean, you got Amanda Nunez, who's the most dominant female fighter. I mean, she's one of the most dominant fighters on the roster, period. But especially if you want to limit to just talking about the female, she's the most dominant female fighter of all time. It's like, how in the world is she not a household name? What do we do? How do we get her out here? How do we get her on talk shows? How do we figure out a way to do this? And they just, they're having trouble. And part of it is, you know, I mean, maybe she doesn't cut the best promo. Maybe she doesn't have a lot of charisma. I don't know what they think the problem is, but that that is their problem to figure out. And they seem yep. to struggle with figuring that out for guys. Like yeah. even, you know, Cormier, I, I love what Cormier's doing. Miocic, Miocic's got a great life story. You know, he's a firefighter only. You know, he's outside, he's out there still doing that. And he's this dominant heavyweight champion. And, but you never hear anything about him. You never see him on any shows. You never see him in any commercials. Nobody's doing shit. They have to figure out how to, how to get these guys in the mainstream public eye. You need to be bringing in newer viewers at all time. Not just your casuals, not just your diehards. Every show you put on is an opportunity to bring in new viewers. What do you think of uh, other promotions outside of the UFC, like Bellator or One or Ryzen, that pretty much bring out the bells and whistles for like fighter intros and music, and they have fireworks and confetti, and Dana White is so staunch in that we do not do that. They walk out with their corners, uh, and that's that. No live, They did the live music once. They've given Stylebender a few special intros, but Dana White absolutely does not want the pro wrestling style uh, entrances. But what do you make of Bellator and One and Ryzen doing all of that? I mean, they put on a better show. It makes for a better atmosphere, a better performance. I mean, you're there to put on a show. You know, it, it's funny because uh, when Ultimate Fighter Season 1 happened, mm -hmm. it followed Monday Night Raw. Mm -hmm. Vince had to okay that. If Vince really? doesn't okay that, it doesn't happen. That's why Vince and Dana have, have a pretty close relationship. And um, so uh, it's weird that he doesn't want to do that because there's so many things that obviously they copy from pro wrestling. When's the first, I mean, when's, when you saw people fighting in cages? That's old school NWA. Ric Flair was doing that shit for years when you saw people fighting in cages. So um, there's a lot of stuff that they can take from them, and why wouldn't they? It's not like it's going to make them look bad. You know, I think for the fighters, you got to be careful. Uh, you don't want to pull a um, Deontay Wilder <laughs> and, you know, blow yourself up before the fight. You know, you had to be careful about that. But, man, you want those entrances. They could be a really cool spectacle and part of the show. I mean, if you watch uh, the Royal Rumble in, in one of WWE's biggest pay-per-views, the reason it's so popular is because you get more entrances than you get on every other show. I mean, any other pro wrestling show. You know, you get all of those cool music. So, I mean, if I was them, I definitely would be trying to design, you know, stuff like that to make this guy stand out. You know, if you got the Iceman Chuck Liddell, I don't know if you get the lights all blue. You know, if you remember WCW, we had a guy named Glacier, and they made it look Glacier. like it was yeah, snow. Yeah, yeah, you know, like a, yeah. It's so the like, million-dollar entrance they always talk about. <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic. And then the NWO, NWO came to town, and nobody gave a shit no more. <laughs> Everything became NWO. But stuff like that could be cool. And as a fan, you're going to buy that shirt, man. I want that shirt, you know. Nobody's – I don't see any – you know, and I'm out in the public or wherever I'm at. I never see like MMA shirts, and I, I bought a Fedor shirt, and you can't even tell what it was. Sure. You know, they just nobody has that hook like I was talking about that you want to put on the shirt and stuff like that. And that, you know, I mean, you see the action figures in Walmart; they basically all look the same because of the the Reebok deal. They all got the same looking shorts on. It's like they're just interchangeable, so kids aren't buying them. Um, 
Well, I'm not asking in the action figure industry, so I can assure you nobody's buying them things. Um, but <laughs> I was going to ask you how much you think Reebok plays into that, because like remember when the Reebok deal came out, everyone had pretty much the same fight kit. It was just their name on the back. They even. Even Mirko Krokop didn't have Krokop. It was his actual last name. Or like Cub Swanson had his real name. So uh, it wasn't like they were going with these characters that people have. They were you yeah. like even without the the spelling mistakes. They were going. I, I didn't. What was your thought on it? Uh, asinine. You took away individuality. You took a, away artistic freedom from these guys. You know, if I see Chuck Liddell and he don't have on those blue tights with the little icicles at the bottom, that shit is gonna look stupid to me. You know, you want you wanted uh, Tito with the fire trunks. You need Krokop with the uh, Croatian flag, mm -hmm. uh, the the red checkerboards. You need that. You know, it just it adds something to it. You don't need it, but it adds to it. It adds markability. You know, I don't know who fucking Mark Mirko Filipovic is. I know who Krokop is. You know, when when Steve that's, that that's just that should have been day one. That conversation should have never existed. You know, yeah, Reebok, we're gonna. You know, Reebok can sponsor them, Reebok can make them, but they should have easily got with these fighters. It's not like there's 10,000 of them. I mean, there's just, you know, there's 20 or 30 of them, <laughs> I mean, that are going to fight on the next pay-per-view. Get with them and go, okay, what can we design for you? How can we make this to fit you? And, and let's make it work. I mean, the more the more designs that they have, the more Reebok's going to sell, too. You know, I'm not going to buy 15 of the shirt of the same shirts that look exactly the same. They just have a different little name right here. I ain't going to do that. I need something that tells me this is Miocek. This is Cormier. This is a style bender, something like that. And that is individualized. Yeah, I never I never understood how like I can go to a pro wrestling tees and see some indie wrestler who, you know, has He's only wrestled in front of you know 500 people. He's got six different shirts available, but yet, you and know, they look cool. And they, they all, all look cool, look yeah. Like, and like, but it's just I don't understand why Reebok doesn't have you know, ten different Dan Hooker shirts that you can. I don't. I like. I don't know. I just. I. Yeah. They're trying, but like, well, the Reebok deal is coming up. Supposedly, it's between Nike, Under Armour, and, and Venom. Venom. <laughs> Venom. Like what? Venom coming out of <laughs> coming out of the woodworks for that one <laughs> so it's totally gonna be venom uh, 100%. but i think bellator i mean when i watch bellator just seeing everybody fighting and what they want to fight i just like that you know just yeah it, it felt it weird looks, like, like yeah i don't like that weird uniform look i mean if you watch especially on fight island because fight island sure. is finally mortal combat come to life i want to see scorpio and <laughs> i mean scorpion <laughs> and sub-zero if they're wearing the exact same outfit i'm not going to care it's it's weird looking, but I rewatched Anderson Silva, and Michael Bisping, like recently, and Anderson Silva's just wearing the black and white, doesn't have the yellow, doesn't have right. nothing. It's very bizarre looking. It's you're, they're starting to slowly come around because supposedly Bryce Mitchell is going to get his camo trunks after calling for it for so one, long. But one he's fighter, one fighter, who's, uh, who's, I know, not, who's not even ranked in the top fifteen. <laughs> no, Cowboy got his uh, grandmother's patch on. Or, or someone's patch. Uh, Brian Kelleher, a former co-host of this show, wants his, uh, what is it, uh, tie-dye trunk. So slowly but surely, but let's see what happens after I, the Reebok I, deal. I'm just curious why it's taking so long and what the conversation is. Well, we've had fighters on this show like Ben Rothwell. He tried mm. to come out with a robe, and Reebok ixnated it. They were like, no. Like, it's a, it's a Reebok thing. Or... Um, uh, Roxanne Modafari was on the show and she had a sports bra that was Reebok branded and Reebok mm -hmm. still shot it down because it wasn't the official 
sports bra of the UFC. Uh, so I don't know how much it's it's UFC, but I think Reebok has a lot to do with it. I think one fight I can't remember off the top of my head wanted to walk out with his state's flag, not a U.S. flag, his state's flag, and that was shot down. You're only allowed to walk out with the Hawaiian flag. I mean, if, as far as it's states, for some reason, only Hawaii. Like, but if you want to rep Texas or rep Michigan, and just nope, it just. That's bizarre. That's why you don't see the ATT flag, that famous one with all the blood stains on it anymore. Mm. That's one thing I, I hated too, because one when they went to the Reebok deal, one part about MMA I loved was that it was almost like dojo versus dojo, you know, yeah. Yeah. ATT versus uh, AKA, and no, and they would rep it, wear their shirts all the time. And you repped your team, rep your coaches, you know. But now it's just like when UFC releases uh, like fight announcements, they'll have two fighters. Wearing the exact same thing, like posing yeah. off, like you guys look like teammates. <laughs> yeah, that's what I liked about the Black Zillions. I couldn't tell you what every who every member was, but I knew that team. The second yeah. I heard that name, I was like, "That's a cool name." That's yeah. uh, going back to the Lions Den. Who was the Lions yeah, Den? Yeah, the Lions Den was like the first one, I think. Yeah, Hammer, yeah, ha- Hammer House. <laughs> yeah, now you have to go to the region, like here in Arizona, back when they had the Power MMA and AZ Combat, like. There would have to be security guards between corners, because like corners were trying to fight, teammates were trying to fight in the crowd. You don't get that in MMA. Well, you know Dan Lambert's got a bunch of championships. He's got a he's got a championship yeah. just ready to go whack somebody in the head. Yeah, honestly, underrated promo guy Dan Lambert. Yes. Dan, yeah, yeah. I got to hang out with him a little bit. I presented the uh, the fighter of the year to Amanda Nunez at the MMA awards. Yeah, that's right. Uh, oh, and so I got man. to hang out with Dan there. Yeah, it's pretty. He's a, he's he's a. He's a big pro wrestling fan, man. I like talking to him. You know who we started talking about pro wrestling too much, and then the the guy, one of the guys, got annoyed by it. He was the guy. He um, he knocked out Uriah Faber in the WEC. You know him, Mike, Mike Brown. Brown. Mike Brown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He's not the biggest pro wrestling fan in the world. So if you start talking about it too much, I noticed he kind of started to drift off, and then he slowly <laughs> just left the <laughs> left the little group. Coach of the year, Matt Brown. And uh, so Dan told me, he goes, yeah, he's not a big pro wrestling fan. That's what it, is. <laughs> it happens. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask ask you a question, Shane, because this is something I've been I've been working in MMA for 12 years now, full time, and one thing I can never understand is the MMA MMA fan. This generally, MMA's fans kind of I don't know, like they just they they always just shit talk pro wrestling, but I never see the other way. I don't I don't see pro wrestling fans going, oh MMA sucks. It's like. Is yeah. it, I, what, what, is, what is this insecurity that MMA fans have with pro wrestling, even though we know the, the histories are so linked together? Because it's more popular. <laughs> you know, it's the same. It's just what it is, you know, and I understand it. You know, I, like I got into amateur wrestling because I love pro wrestling. I went to my first uh, live pro show in 1979. So my love for pro wrestling runs deep. So when I first stepped on an amateur mat, I'm looking for a ring. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, what, what, what kind of shit is this? I got to land on this thing? And so, like, my amateur coach hated pro wrestling. Well, well one of them. One, one loved it and one didn't. And the one that didn't, he was just like, man, you know. And I never really got, he never really just came out and, say, and said it. But I remember having a conversation with him one time. And I was like, well, I mean, there's no pay-per-view for the Olympics. Why do you think that is? And he, he just started seething. Like, you could tell he was just mad as shit. <laughs> it was just like... Like it's one of those things where amateur wrestling, like especially in the higher levels, you know, it's so intricate. You have to be a fan of it to appreciate it. Casual fans, 
they don't. And pro wrestling added all this kind of craziness to it, and that's why it became popular. But I think some of that just kind of translates over. But, yeah, I never really see pro wrestlers like – and there are a lot of MMA guys too that like that love pro wrestling because I got you know several friends in, in the in the business. So, uh, but yeah, you're definitely correct. I never hear like pro wrestling fans really trashing it. Um, I think the only time they do is if you have a real technical submission match, and they want to see suplexes and they want to see knockouts. They want to see the spectacle. And sometimes if you have something that's um, a Damian Maya, you know, who might not give you some of the. Uh, some of the flashy fights, you know, they might not, that that's the only kind of bad things I ever hear from wrestling fans is they'll call some of those fights boring when they're not, mm-hmm. you know, they're just really more intricate than the, uh, the casual observer notices. I think we heard a lot of complaints of MMA fighters hopping over to the squared circle in recent years. Like, Oh, not another MMA guy trying to come quote, take our spot. Like when the, there's always that rumor of Connor making the jump over when Ronda made the jump over, even Matt Riddle, when he made the jump over people, just like this is our world and you stay out of it yeah which is odd because i'm saying yeah i mean pro wrestling started out as, as mma so it's this it's odd that you wouldn't want anybody and i'd rather have somebody with an athletic background mm-hmm. than uh you know a grocery store clerk that comes in you know somebody that already has a background there's already credibility and believability mm-hmm. but at the same time i have seen some mma mma guys come over in a pro wrestling and they think they're tough they think they're going to come and run shit you know and uh, they kind of get put in their place pretty quickly too i've definitely told the guys like man if you were so successful in mma you'd still be doing it you know (laughs) (laughs) you're not wrong that's a hilarious way of putting it oh man just i just want to mention a shout out to Shayna baszler though and and um, i'm very happy yeah yeah yeah, she's done fantastic you know i think too uh the irish hand grenade uh marcus davis he he dabbled in it a little bit yeah yeah he was one of those guys that really put over i think samoa joe was telling me this and really put over how really difficult it is on your body, how it beats your body to death. I mean, Rhonda, you know, she didn't want that schedule, not the travel and the getting beat to death. And that's a good thing about MMA. You get to stay home. Mm-hmm. When you're in your camp, you're there. Like when you're on a plane four days a week and those planes are just terrible. I don't know if anybody here knows this or not, but air travel, we're not meant for that shit. Air travel is terrible on your body. And so you doing all of this traveling, you're getting slammed 10, 15 times a night. It beats you absolutely to fucking death. Like, I think MMA, the cuts are worse. You know, the superficial cuts are worse. But in terms of what the damage it does that's done to your spine and your brain rattling around, uh, pro wrestling is definitely worse for your body than MMA is. It's way more just... You know, like I said, it just tears your body to absolute pieces. Oh yeah, I've had I've been on a few podcasts. We're talking like because I always thought Daniel Cormier would make a really good commentator or manager in professional wrestling. Uh-huh. Uh, when Kane made the the jump over to WWE, I thought for sure DC was going to follow him and be his mouthpiece. Yeah, uh, and I was amazed at how many fight fans weren't aware of the schedule you guys had. They thought it was just the one day a week. One, yeah. one pay-per-view a month I'm just like man they're on the road for like 300 days a year like that's yeah. terrible for you yeah it beats you absolutely to death I remember uh, King Mo Lawal talked because I, I think for a while he was trying to do both pro wrestling mm-hmm. and fight and um, basically he said pro wrestling was just too tough on the body just uh, yeah he, he, can't, he couldn't do both yeah he's just nope can't do it <laughs> yeah Bobby Lashley's like man Bobby Lashley's yeah. like when he's not on the road and he's doing MMA training he's like he's fine <laughs> when you got to go on that road and you start bumping and you're getting, sl- you're not getting slammed 15 times, you know, at night, you know, so, uh, 
That's why I think he he really likes well, the money too. You know, the money <laughs> kind of helps out. From JSTOR on the site, most wins. Five active fighters are in the top five for most wins of all time. Donald Cerrone with 23, Damian Maya 22, Jim Miller 21, John Jones 20, and Diego Sanchez with 19. Which of these men will retire with the most wins? Will someone further down the road break the record, such as Poirier, RDA, Bolt at 18, or Holloway or Oliveira, Bolt at 17? Very separate question. Which female fighter, current or former, would you like to add to the English language broadcast? So I'll start with the first question. Of those five men in the top, Cerrone, Maya, Miller, John Jones, and Diego Sanchez, who ends their career with the most wins? What what number is John Jones and um, Cowboy at? Cowboy is at 23. John Jones is at 20. Cowboy will probably end up with that. Probably. He's going to keep going. Uh, Diego, I don't know how many more Diego has in him. Um, Jim Miller, he did. Jim Miller just fell a test. Yeah, he, he, just, he just won. But did was there something about him that he mm-hmm. fell a test of some kind? No, that wasn't no. him. No. I saw Miller something. I don't know what it was. Uh, so Ixnay that one. <laughs> um, and he's what thirty? He's up there. Yeah, he's like mid thirties, late thirties. It's it's amazing how that's old. In uh, Jim point. Miller has the most fights, or second or third most fights, and I think Cerrone has the most total fights. Uh, but they're one and two, or one and three for wins. So they're always like I remember for a while they would fight. Like, Cerrone would fight one month, and then he would have the most fights. And then Miller would fight the next month, and he would tie him immediately. So it's always been a two-man race between those two. I think they should get to a point where they have the equal amount of wins, and then mm-hmm. that's their final fight between them two. They fight each other, and <laughs> that's what they should. That's how I booked that. I think if John Jones should end with the most wins, but who knows when he returns. He said he's more than happy to sit out for as long as it takes to get paid what he's worth. And in that time, I would imagine Donald Cerrone fights 12 more times until yeah, John Jones returns. Yeah. Uh, for that second question, which fighter but, do you, you think know, will end? I think, Go ahead. actually, I think Charles Oliveira is going to win. That's what I was going to say. I think he's going to have the most wins because, and like, just because the, econo- the, uh, the, the financials, it's not because mm-hmm. he just—he's not—he's—he's. He's, they don't—he doesn't charge a lot to fight, and um, he can—he can kind of fill that he's card great. in all the time, and so yeah, mm-hmm. he, like he well, he's how many? He has like almost twenty wins, and yeah. I've seen all his fights, and like I really don't know anything about Charles Oliveira. I really don't know. Right. And he's the—he's the youngest on that list, right? Yeah, he's only yeah. thirty, so actually, That's, yeah, yeah he was a he'll, he'll, he'll sneak in there. He'll, like, all of a sudden, like whoa, you know, <laughs> just. But sorry, you can go to the second part. I just thought like he, uh, there was a point in time where I think he was one of the youngest fighters on the roster. Like he still wears glasses, doesn't want to have LASIK eye surgery. Like it's all of his interviews. He's still wearing his glasses. Fought Frankie Edgar in the co-main event at USC 162. That was the main event was Weidman Anderson Silva won. And like that's how <laughs> that's how long he's been around. And he has now the most submission wins ever in the history of the UFC. I think he has a trilogy against Nick Lentz. I think he's one and one against Jim Miller. So. If I have to put money on who's going to have the most now, it's I think it's going to be Poirier or uh, Oliveira because of age and how much they fight and how much they win. Well, and Oliveira takes a lot less damage too, right? He doesn't oh, yeah. get his fights are quick. So uh, I, I think he would be the guy to lean to here. Yeah, Oliveira's coming up on in August. He'll be in, he'll be a UFC fighter for a decade. That is insane to me. <laughs> so yeah, so that means he came. He, he got his first fight in UFC was when he was twenty. Yeah, and he's still getting better, to be honest. That is insane to me. Uh, they just that, had a female fighter that was 20 years old on this past card, didn't they? Yep. Yeah, Hanson. She's the second youngest. I think the only one younger is Chase Hooper. 
Yep. So she's the youngest female Ooh. fighter, and she won fifty, and she won, she won her fight, and she won the fifty thousand dollar performance bonus. Yeah. And uh, not, that not a bad gig. That third, that third part of that question, which female fighter do you think should be added to the English language broadcast? So we've talked a lot about male characters and on the their mic skills. Are there any females that have good mic skills in the UFC? Um, I haven't. I mean. I don't think a lot have had opportunities. You know, I know uh, Paige Van Zant seems to talk pretty well. She seems to do good. Um, Karate Hottie does pretty good too. See, you notice how I remember her name? <laughs> See, that's a gimmick. That's a hook. Um, Angela Hill. Angela Hill has a is amazing on. Oh on yeah, my, boy, yeah. she's she's a great Twitter follower too. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to follow her. Um, she's pretty good. So, I mean, you'd have to actually hear them do commentary. Can they dissect it and, and be really good? You know, I'd have to hear it first. But uh, those three right there are, are really good. Um, I don't know how well Holly Holmes does okay. She doesn't uh, – she's not a fantastic promo. She kind of really seems unsure of herself, which is strange considering how decorated she is. Um, there's not a lot that uh, spring to mind, to be honest. Someone, uh, after her fight in March, compared Joanna to The Rock where she has an aura of, oh, like, Joanna. win or lose, she is so captivating to watch. And all of yeah. her, like, if you watch her media days and stuff, she always speaks in motivational phrases. And then when she gets in the face of Wiley, she's just talking the entire time. So I think Joanna has to be up there for best mic, mic workers. Absolutely. And she, she definitely works the gimmick well. She mm -hmm. did the whole, I mean, unfortunately, she lost that fight. But when she was doing the whole boogie woman thing yeah. with uh, Rose Namagunas, like just she made that build up to that fight. She just made it, you know, and Rose, too, looking looking so timid stoic, half yeah. the times stoic but also timid like if you didn't know rose whatsoever and you look and you saw that face off and it almost looked like sigourney weaver with the alien eating her, <laughs> about to eat her face off you would just think rose namagunas is going to get murdered in here and then she went out there and won it like that is such a really good pivotal moment for uh women's mma it was a really good fight too uh but the build-up the build-up was just all hype and uh Joanna's the one that made that happen i think mm -hmm. without her that fight doesn't have nowhere near the level of interest. That's the great part, the, the, the clashes and personalities. That's why I, like, I love MMA, because you have Rose just, you know, very quiet. Even I remember at the press conference, someone asked her, like, Rose, are you doing okay? Like, because she was just sitting there, and she's like, oh, I'm fine, why? Yeah, <laughs> That's just how she's she... Like, she's like, Fado, she's like, I'm ecstatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not... <laughs> even even uh, Wei Li, she doesn't speak any, any English, but the only English you hear shut her up. say is shut up. Shut up. When you're on this talk, it's just like, shut up. That was it. That's all you needed. That's yeah. all you needed. Shut up. She was awesome. Like, too, they haven't really hyped up the uh, Rose fight as much with, no. you know, I mean, this is just the girl that, that took her championship, slammed her on the head. We very unique uh, um, way to win that fight. And so, you don't really. And, too, it's hard to work with somebody who doesn't talk, you know. It's, sure. But that's when your marketing team comes in. That's like what Bellator and uh, companies did with Fatal, and they created the last emperor. I guarantee you Fatal didn't come up with that yeah. idea. You know, they created, and they create that entrance and all of that stuff. You got to do that for people like Rose, or else nobody, or else we're going to be having this conversation forever. Why Why aren't they hyping this fight? What do you think of a fighter, and this this is how it was described to me on Twitter, like Jessica I, who has "quote unquote" X Pac heat. <laughs> well, uh, X Pac heat worked really well. A it lot really of times to be to be, you know, you gotta have those legit heels. So um, it can work because then, I mean, 
Floyd Mayweather had X-Pac heat, you know? You know, uh, it wasn't until he became Money Mayweather that he got the hook, you know what I'm saying? That was the real hook, Money Mayweather. But even then, you wanted to see somebody beat him. You know, you want to see somebody beat X-Pac. You wanted to see somebody beat Jessica I, you know? But uh, you can't talk that talk unless you're winning, you know what I'm saying? So if she could have came out and won, if she would have won that last fight, and then afterward, even up the promo. See, that's what happens. You know, if you got that kind of heat, once you win, you got to up it. You don't need to get too respectful. And there's a, I, I know there's a lot of old school guys that hate that. There's the, the Pat Militich guys. They hate, you know, all of that shit, man. But that's what sells tickets. And this is still a business. You got to have money coming in the door. You know, you want to generate interest to the casual fan. You want to see those headlines in the New York Times. You know, you don't see shit like that no more, right. you know, but, and you you don't got to be crazy. You don't got to be uh, Mike Tyson, I'm going to eat your kids. You don't got to be insane <laughs> like that. But if uh, Jessica I would have won that fight and then got on the microphone after and be like, I told you, I told you what I was going to do. Y'all can't stop me. Bring, bring on the next one. Just anything like that and, you know, keep that momentum rolling, you know, you, and then you want to see somebody whoop our ass. So you got to have that. Someone in the comment section said Megan Anderson and Ali Malay McFarlane would be, uh, well, Megan Anderson already does in victim fights. I forgot about her. She's oh, yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. She's also a good interviewer. And Lee May, and she does the uh, desk. I mean, uh, yeah, you know, the desk for Bellator for their big events, yeah. too. So she's the done Bellator a lot of on camera stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, there was a, another girl, too, Heather something. She actually used to do the, uh, the Adam Hunter podcast, the Adam Hunter show, you know, the MMA roasted podcast. Yeah. Uh, there's a female that used to do his show a lot. Uh, I forget what her name was, but she was really good on his podcast. So mm. she, I, I feel like she would be good on the on commentary too. I always thought Misha Tate was a very good commentator. She's been around for so long. She does a lot with one championship now. Yeah. Didn't she do? I feel like she did something. She didn't do any commentary ever with anybody. She was on the Fox desk for a few times with the US. Maybe that was it. Yeah, retired. yeah. Maybe yeah. that was it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought she was good in that. Yeah, yeah, she was great. Joseph Boza in the YouTube comments, August 22nd, fight night as Michelle Watterson versus uh, number eight, Michelle Watterson versus number 13, Angela Hill booked. Thoughts on Angie getting a full camp for Michelle. Casey, I'm going to start with you for this <laughs> one because you've covered both of their careers from pretty much the beginning. Yeah. Uh, Angela Hill has be- pretty much become the, talking about characters, Angela Hill described herself as the Cowboy Cerrone of the women's division. She wants to fight on every fight card against, doesn't care the rankings, doesn't care if it's one day's notice or three months notice. So thoughts on Angela Hill getting a full full camp? I mean, that's great for her. Um, but um, th- this is one of those fights, like, like where, like... I can't believe this fight's never happened before. It, it's, it's, also, it's, it's a super interesting fight because both Michelle and uh, Angela Hill, they're coming off losses. But if you ask around, most people thought Michelle beat Carla Sparza. Almost everyone thought Angela beat uh, Claudia G- uh, Gadelia. So uh, it kind of... It sucks that some that one of them are gonna have a two fight losing streak after this, and that's what kind of that's what bums actually that's what bums me out. As much as I want to see him fight, the fact that one of them has to lose and lose half their paycheck and be in a two fight losing streak and just that kind of sucks. But just as a pure fan, hell yeah, super excited about this fight. And yeah, I've, I've known both these um, ladies for a long time. I I visited both their camps, shot them training, and interviewed them and stuff. So um, didn't one of them go to your wedding? Uh, no, 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 but I. <laughs> Michelle, Michelle sold me on ma- having my wedding in Albuquerque, though. 
Oh, yeah, that's it. Go. She was like, oh, you got to have well, an Albuquerque. Michelle, well, who are you picking? Get to the tough question. Who are you <laughs> picking? Casey can't pick between these two. I know yeah, that. Uh, dude, on, it's going to be an all-out war, 30-30 draw. <laughs> That 30, Every round's gonna be so exciting and so close. The judges are like ten tens. Yeah, a bunch of ten tens. Just from the excitement. What do you think about that fight, Shane? Uh, I, I can tell you, I'm picking Angela Hill. Uh, you know, especially with a good camp. Uh, I think so many of her losses, like there's more than a few, should have went the other way. And mm-hmm. and and the ones that weren't, there were a lot that were just super super close. Mm-hmm. So you look sometimes you look at that number of losses. And you forget that, man, some of them were super, super close. She could have easily won a, a, a big number of those. So, And I like uh, I like Watterson a lot. I just feel like she really needs to figure out a way to get some power because she can touch you. She can touch you a lot, but it doesn't seem to do a lot of damage, you know. And um, this isn't point fighting, you know, and that's one thing that is, that is traditionally. And, of course, my you know, I'm not a pro, so this is just – kind of regurgitating information and just my observation. A lot of people that come from that karate background, they do that point fighting thing and they're not really landing those significant strikes that do damage and that wear you down and stuff like that. So uh, I'm taking, I'm I'm definitely taking Angela Hill. There you have it. I'm also taking Angela Hill. Any other questions, Casey? Uh, I know we we went a little over time, but. Oh, actually got one more. Good, good one right here. Can you read that? Is that too small? Ooh, yes, I can. I was very interested for this one. From Trumbo on the site, one of our longest com- comments. That looks like the Dead Sea Scrolls right there. <laughs> <laughs> the Peter Yan hype. Peter Yan may be a killer, but we don't really know that yet. He had a very close fight with Rivera, his best competition uh, so, so far probably, and it looked great KOing Favor, who was 40 and well past his prime. He's young and extremely talented, but largely unproven as of yet. I see a lot of people basically counting Aldo out in a fight, and given how Aldo's chin and cardio looked against Marlon, combined with his skills and experience, I expect this to be a very tough fight for Jan. Do you expect Jan to steamroll Aldo, or are people counting Aldo out because they don't like that he got the title fight? Thoughts? Uh, don't tell PT this question. His pride would probably explode. PT's former co-host. He is the biggest Peter Jan fan uh, in the world. Uh, I am never going to think anyone's going to steamroll over Jose Aldo to answer that last question. I still think Jose Aldo is the greatest featherweight of all time. Uh, I think it goes personally. I think it goes a lot with that second part where people are just upset. He's in the title fight, but it, by no means do I think this is a gimme fight for either man. But Shane, your thoughts on Peter Yan versus Jose Aldo at fight Island. Uh, I agree with you hundred percent. I don't think he's going to steamroll Jose Aldo. I mean, uh, but I think Jan is the real deal. I think he's I think he's badass, and this is going to. I mean, there's no bigger test for him than Jose Aldo here. So, uh, the the question is, is Aldo pissed off because a lot of people feel that you know he was robbed of, of that last fight. So does he come? Is he coming angry because he looked like his athleticism and his speed and everything was there? Visually, he looked sunken in that last week. I remember being concerned. Uh, when I saw him at the weigh-in. And generally, when I bet fights, I try to watch the weigh-in. To me, that's just mm-hmm. a, such a huge indicator of how the fighter is or how he's going to perform, how he visually looks. And he looked, man, he looked like Skeletor. But I thought he fought really well. I thought he fought excellent and just, you know, didn't get the decision there. But um, so now are we are we going to see an angry Aldo? And even though Aldo isn't that young, he's been in a lot of fights, a lot, a lot of fights. He's been doing this for a long time. And that gas tank... You know, that gas tank empties a lot faster when you're older. You know, you look at Tyrone Woodley, you know, that wasn't the same guy, 
You know, I know Gilbert Burns was an incredible fighter, but Tyron Woodley just looked looked like he had nothing uh, from an energy standpoint in the tank. So you got to wonder how Aldo is going to do uh, in this. But I'm looking for Peter Yan to get the win. If Aldo wins, I would not be surprised. But Yan, Yan, um, that's, who, that's who I'm picking in this one. Casey, who do you think wins this fight? I know you're not a big fan of the fight actually happening, but who do you like in this fight? Uh, Jan. Yeah, I think uh, Jan. Um, but, you know, I, I just, I, I'm, I, I hope Otto makes 135 because he, he looked like he barely made 136, and now he has to cut yeah. a whole another pound. And, um, and he has two more rounds because we always hear of Aldo losing his cardio in those fourth and fifth yeah. rounds. Cutting down one more pound and yeah. getting two more rounds is going to be completely different. I think a completely different Aldo, but yeah. I'm never going to count him out of a fight. I mean, of course, he, yeah, he's still into this fight. He's still in the fight. Um, I just think it's this Jan's time, and um, I, I just like, but like Shane said, like I'm just, I wish this fight wasn't happening. I wish it was Jan versus um, Aljo, uh, but um, but here we are, and um, yeah, I, but like like you said, uh, if Aldo. Maybe that was his, maybe his first cut to 35. Uh, his last fight against Marlon, his first cut. Maybe that was we're gonna get a better version of him now because he now he now he he has the experience. He's fought in that body now, so he, we might see a better auto. So we'll find out. You know what else he doesn't have to do? A lot of media. This is true. Yeah, yeah he, he definitely at, he hates that. He's yeah. not good at that. We were, he hates we were at media. I interviewed him at media day, and he was sitting there. In all of the layers you could imagine, because that was also December in Vegas, so it's not overly hot. He had all the lights on him. He was sitting there with a leather jacket and a hoodie on, cutting weight while getting the same questions over and over and over for an hour. I think people are not taking that into account either. Like, not having to do as much media responsibilities is probably going to be a big factor for a lot of fighters. Yeah, but sure. anyway, uh, last have question. Ever, let me let Go me ahead. ask you a question. Sure. What? What MMA fighter gave you the least in it? Because I had a couple, like, on, on my podcast, Highway to Helms, I've been doing it for 10 years. Now I do it just myself. I don't even have guests no more. I just sure. said, the hell with it. These people on my nerves. <laughs> but I used to, and I had some MMA fighters, and there was one in particular that stuck out that was pulling teeth trying to get an entertaining conversation out of this guy. What MMA fighter has, has given you the least? And so that when you have to dig deep, and that's, that's the true test of an interview, <laughs> you know, which one? Because I'll tell you mine, and I, I, it will not be a surprise at all to you. But There's been a lot of prelim fighters, I can't think of them off the top of my head, that are just scared. It's like mm -hmm. their first ever interview they've ever done. So they're trying. It's not that they didn't give me a lot. It's, it was very cookie cutter. Like, I'm just really excited to be here. Thank you for the UFC. Like, you know, all of that. I know Casey and I have interviewed this fighter a million times, but Hannah Cyphers. Uh, I, I love I her say, interviews, though. I love interviewing her only because like you're you're talking about like characters that is her like she is so scared of the cameras I'll be like so like what are your thoughts on this and that she'll be like um good I guess and like that's her answer <laughs> but it's so timid and then after the interview she'll come up to me like I'm really sorry I just I'm not used to the cameras like that is her character and she gets so excited meeting she got so excited to meet Daniel Cormier She's like a five foot one, 150 pound pound woman, and is just like giddy to meet Daniel Cormier. Yeah. So, 
you're never going to get anything out of Hannah Cyphers, but I think that's that makes her interview so fun. Uh, Mike Perry hates me, uh, so that's probably another one oh, that you, I'm going to get stuff you, out. You get great stuff from Mike Perry. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, I'm never going to get, like, a coherent conversation out of him, but he's always going to give – he's always going to call me a name or say something to me, and that has to keep me on my toes. But, Casey, what are your thoughts? Um, actually, talk about a great fighter that – is almost anti-promo in the sense is um and i've interviewed many times and off the record like we could talk have fun conversations but once i turn the mic on it's just is um robbie lawler oh yeah i forgot <laughs> about him robbie is a, such a hard such a hard interviewer yeah uh, you have to he'll talk about fellow fighters for hours but he hates talking about himself yeah and like oh <laughs> and if you come and like if you ask Robbie a question that he just doesn't like, or maybe like, hey, like talk about a, f- a previous loss or something, like he just gives you that look and he's like, oh, fuck. He won't say that's a stupid question, but you can see it in his eyes. He's just disappointed in you. <laughs> yeah. Ro- yeah, Robbie, Robbie Lott. And, I, and I, I'm such a fan of Robbie Lott. And actually, like, I enjoy his bad interviews in that sense. So do I. So, yeah. yeah um, my only interview I've ever actually. I've only thrown away one interview. I was like, you know what? I'm not putting this out there. And he, he's not a he's not a boring interview. I just we just did hit it off. But I interviewed um, uh, Phil Davis one time, uh, Mr. Wonderful. Ooh. And you know mm-hmm. he, he's a quirky guy, but like if if you don't really set him up right, it just doesn't come off. And it was just one of those. He it was when he was fighting actually uh, he was fighting Ryan Bader in Sweden, mm-hmm. and it was a fight no one wanted to see anyway. Um, so I was just like, so Ryan Bader, he was like, yeah, Ryan Bader, I'm fighting him Saturday. I was just like, it's going to be a good fight. He's like, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, shit. And I was like, come on, give me, I was like, I had nothing. And then I kind of froze yeah. up and I was just like, okay, delete. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, people don't understand that when you're the interviewer and the person is giving you nothing, how difficult that job can be. And, uh, when I was doing Highway to Helms to begin with, uh, I actually would have uh, wrestlers and stuff come over. And so some of the younger ones that weren't used to it, I would coach them before, like, have something to talk about. Don't come on here without shit to talk about. You know, because there was in the early episodes, I had a female on. I was like, you know, hey, so what's going on? She's like, nah, not much. I was like, um, okay, you got anything uh, big lined up? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you on this show? But um, as far as the MMA, I had the immortal Matt Brown on, and I was just like, man. And uh, like how he came, how he came off in the Ultimate Fighters is exactly kind of how he came off there, and kind of how he comes off. And uh, everything I heard about him is he's a good guy. He just doesn't, you know, emote. He doesn't project, especially energy. So he's a guy. When I was talking about earlier, how. Uh, pro wrestling morphed into what became pro wrestling. If you would have heard him talking on the radio, you're not going to go buy a ticket to see that right. guy. But then when you watch him fight, you're like, damn, that guy's a badass. We're one of the best elbow knockouts mm-hmm. uh, in history mm-hmm. on um, Diego. But like, yeah, just talking to him, I was like, man, after it's over, I'm like, I'm not sure that guy even liked me. <laughs> well, he's but, he himself <laughs> has said that he's had to change. Like, I'm no longer that just agitated man all the time. So he, yeah. I think he's coming around yeah. a little yeah. bit. And yeah. on the inverse, Josh Barnett, if you guys ever get a chance oh, yeah. to interview Josh, oh, he's, yeah. he's a lot of fun, you know. I had him, Stephen Bonner. Actually, uh, I had Stephen Bonner on my show, and he had no fights coming up. And I said, hey, here's what I'm going to do for you. I said, I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to use my hero powers. I'm going to put this out <laughs> into the universe, and we're going to get you a fight. 
the very next day, he got the call from Dana White for Anderson Silva. The oh. very next day. That was the main event, too. Now, it didn't work out well for him, Man, but, but he did get a fight, <laughs> and he did get a payday. My God. There you but go. I had, nothing, I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> it, was funny. it was just funny the way it worked out. Well, any other questions, Cage, or is that, is that it? I think we're good, sir. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thanks you so much, everyone, for tuning into this episode of the A Side. This is uh, one of the best feedbacks we've had in a long time. But of course, the man of the hour, Shane Helms, you've cut a promo once or two in your life. The floor is yours to plug, say whatever you want before we sign off. Well, I'm at the twilight of my career, so I really don't have to plug a lot of fights or anything else coming up. But uh, you can always check me out on social media. I'm at Shane Helms Com. That's cross-platform, Instagram, uh, Twitter, Tumblr, even. I think MySpace is still up there somewhere. Wow. I'm, not, I'm not positive about that. But uh, Highway to Helms is my podcast I put out. Uh, I've been doing it for uh, since 2010. Uh, so check that out on wherever you find your uh, your podcast, wherever they may be. And that's about it. That's how you plug. That's how you plug stuff. Take notes, young MMA fighters who come on and say, thanks for having me. That's pretty much all <laughs> to say. Casey, anything you want to say before we sign off this week? No, thanks for having me. All right. Well, so, well we <laughs> might, <laughs> might be back Friday. We might not. We'll let you know. But thank you so much to the Hurricane Shane Helms. I hope, I assume you made a fan for life from Casey. He didn't know much about your wrestling career <laughs> at all. And you seem to have won him over. I uh, appreciate it, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see you back. We'll we'll see you next Wednesday, maybe Friday. This will be on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, you YouTube, you name it. But until then, we'll see you later. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network.